Zeo is a word from the original Greek language of the New Testament. And Zeo means... It means passion, that's right. But not just kind of any passion, but like literally it means burning with passion. Like being on fire. Burning with passion. Being on fire for Jesus, for his good news, for what he's about. That's what Zeo means. It means to be fired up and ready to go. Fired up and ready to go. And I want to ask you all rhetorically this morning... Honestly, how fired up are you feeling right now? Honestly, how fired up? Because, because I imagine that there are some of us here and we might be feeling kind of fairly fired up. And there are some of us here who feel like our life and our faith is flickering. It's like a, an ember. It, it, it feels there's not much to it. And so on these next two Sundays, as I share with you at the beginning of this year, this morning we're going to be looking at how do we rekindle life and see the flicker become a flame. And then next week, we're going to look about how we live a fired up life where the flame can become a furnace and that we would be really and truly on fire. We're going to look at three practices of a rekindled life today. And I, I really want to encourage you, I'm going to get really practical about this at, um, uh, a little later, um, that on your phones or, or, or write these things down, there are some practical things that are going to help us for the whole of this year. These two Sundays are to carry us through the whole of this year, and I'd really encourage you. But first of all, I want to tell you about what happened when I put petrol in my diesel car. <laughs> Actually, it's the other way around. I put diesel in my petrol car. I had just, it was, it was December last year, I had just taken my wife out on a surprise little date. It was a Wednesday afternoon, I'd had something cancelled, and you know how Christmas crazy Amy is. So uh, I'd heard of this thing that Becky had talked to us about, what's it called, the Christmas? The Magic of Christmas. Has anyone been to the Magic of Christmas? Okay, it's over on the other side of Stevenage. And so I, I, I came downstairs. This is like husband points. I said to Amy, stop what you're doing. We are going to the magic of Christmas. It was crazy. It was like mid-afternoon. It was work time. Don't tell my chair. And, um, and so we went to the magic of Christmas. We were like, it was great. We didn't have coffee. And then we went, we stopped at Costco to fill up with petrol. And uh, so I went, to, I put the, uh, the petrol thing into my car and it wouldn't go in properly. I, I, I was trying to put it in and I looked in and there was this mechanism that was stopping the petrol thing going in. And, and look, listen, there are no points for being smart Alex here. Because here's the interesting thing, here's, it did not enter my head that I was about to do something stupid. It didn't enter my head that the problem was me. My first honest thought was, there is something wrong with this car. I even went further, I even thought, I wonder what Amy did last time. I literally thought that. But I thought, no worries, I'm gonna ignore that mechanism and I just started to fill the car up with diesel. About 27 pounds in, I suddenly remembered. And I stopped, 
and I put it away and I went round to the passenger seat next to Amy and I just said, I've just put diesel in our petrol car. <laughs> now, all I'm saying is Amy must have done the Church at Home series on relationships last term. Because <laughs> she was so gracious to me. She was so gracious. She was like, she was amazing. Anyway, we called up the, you know, we, we, I knew enough. Do not start the car. Do not start the car. So we called up our insurance. And this very helpful lady, she said to me, you know, they really should put a mechanism inside. <laughs> she literally said that. A mechanism inside to stop you doing that. And I went, I know. I, I, if only, if only they did that. Anyway, let's just say it was very expensive. Very, it was a blind spot. It was a blind spot. It didn't enter my head that the problem might be me. Might be me. Um, Back in the 1950s, some of you might have seen this. We flipped that Jahari window up. There was these two guys, uh, Joseph Luft and Harrington Ingham. They came up with this model that's called the Jahari window. And it's a tool to help us improve our self-awareness so that we can know ourselves better and that this would be better for ourselves and our relationships. And it invites all of us to think about our lives as a house that has four rooms. And so you see that there's that public room. That's the room that there's, I have a window into that room. Other people have a window into that room. It's public knowledge. And so, like, if you've been around me any period of time, you'll know that I love ice cream. I particularly love Belgian chocolate Haagen-Dazs ice cream. It is public knowledge. But then there's this private area, this hidden area. I've got a window into this room, but no one else does. It's the stuff about me. And people will only know about what's in the private room if I'm brave enough to self-disclose, like I just confessed to you my little petrol disaster a moment ago. But when I do that, and when we do that, when we're willing to disclose our struggles, our weaknesses, our fears... It actually deepens connection with people. It it builds trust. It's good for our relationships. It's good for us. And then we have this third place in the house, the blind spot. This is the place where other people see stuff in me, but I don't see this in myself. I don't have a window in this room. It's things that people know and observe about me that I'm not aware of myself. And the only way I discover those things, again, if I'm brave enough to seek counsel, to, to ask people for their opinions, to, to be willing for them to tell me the areas that maybe I'm not aware of and that I'm humble enough to listen and not be defensive. And then we've got this buried room, or the unknown room. This room's got no windows. Like, nobody knows what's in this room. I don't know what's in this room of my life. You don't know what's in this room of my life. The only person who knows what's in the buried room is is God. God knows what's in this room. And the only time I ever find out what's in this room, or you find out what's in this room, is sometimes when experiences happen, and something comes out of this room, and we're like, oh, wow, I... I didn't know that was in me. Or if the Holy Spirit gives us some revelation and understanding. And so again, if this room, if this house is your life, I I wonder what this house looks like for you. Are are all the rooms the same size? Are you a very public person? Is that your biggest room? How self-aware are you? When you look back, On the last seven years, 
We have all been through some extraordinary times. We have all experienced and we're still experiencing the effects of some huge global life impacting things like Brexit, the COVID pandemic, the murder of George Floyd. The Ukraine war, the escalating cost of living crisis, the the recent conflict in Gaza, to name but a few. And that doesn't even speak of the personal challenges that you and I have faced in our lives. And And I don't know what you think, but it feels to me that today the world is anxious, more anxious and more angry, more divided and more distracted than it's ever, ever been. More distressed than I can ever remember. And of course, all of these things... As we've gone through them, we, we know that, therefore, we feel, we know how vulnerable, how precious, how fragile life is. And whilst we might not know everything about us, we might not know what's in that buried space or maybe in our blind spot. We do know this to some degree. We do know at the start of 2024 that in some parts of our lives, or maybe you're feeling it in all of your life, that we're weary We're disappointed, we're feeling a bit battered, we're frustrated, we're angry, we're discouraged, we're brokenhearted. I mean, you fill in the blank. Some of us, even this morning, like, where is God in all this? And into that, we see this beautiful verse, Matthew 12, 21, you'll see it on the screen. Where Matthew, speaking about Jesus, says this, a bruised reed he will not break, A smouldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In in the first century, reeds were these tall, thick, strong plants. If you've ever seen them. And people would literally build houses and boats out of reeds. They were the basic fabric of construction aside from bricks. But if a reed was broken or even slightly bruised, it would literally be snapped in two and thrown on the fire. And, and Matthew is saying, Jesus is not like that. That if you are here this morning and you are feeling bruised by life, Jesus will not break you and throw you away. And, and equally to underline it, he says, a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. If you're here today and the, the embers of your life and faith, it feels are so fragile, then Matthew's saying, Jesus, who is God, he won't just kind of blow you out, blow you away. But that actually, if we invite God through Christ, which is the invitation of every day, but it certainly is the invitation of today, to come and meet with us, then he can take the broken, bruised, weary parts of our lives and he will gently and patiently and slowly restore us. And I want to look very briefly at one story in the, New Test- in the Old Testament where, where God does this. It's stunning and it's incredibly practical how God rekindles life for someone who actually wants to die They've reached that place. And uh, by the way, just to say, I meant to say at the start, I know we're all in together and like the kids can make as much noise as they want, guys, parents. And so uh, forgive me as I speak for the next four hours. <laughs> just, just teasing. 
Okay, so we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 19. If you've got a Bible, 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm just going to draw a few points out of this. I will aim to be really brief. And 1 Kings 19, guess what? It follows 1 Kings 18. And in 1 Kings 18, just to set the context, is Elijah, the prophet Elijah, who's the character in this story, he has just had an incredible, miraculous experience of God. And we will look at that next week. We're going to do these in reverse order. So we're going to look at life on fire next week, but today we're looking at rekindled life. So he's had this incredible experience of God, and yet at the beginning of 1 Kings 19, because of what happens, Jezebel, the queen, has basically issued an edict that says, in the next 24 hours, I will kill Elijah. I'm done with him. And because he is exhausted, spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, on every level, Elijah's got nothing in the tank to respond healthily to that. He's just got nothing left. And so we read in verse 3 from 1 Kings 19 how he responds. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And when While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush and sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And then he went into a cave and he spent the night And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. And the Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And on it goes with some new marching orders. And in verse 18, God says, Yeah, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, whose mouths have not kissed him. I.e., God saying, And you are not alone, Elijah. 
Don't you love the beautiful, brutal honesty of Scripture? Don't you love that? This is Elijah, a legend. If you don't know anything about Elijah, come next week. You'll hear one of the great exploits. Like He's one of the legendary char- characters in the Scripture. He has had encounters and experiences of God that we would all dream about. But in this moment, despite repeated, unmistakable moments of seeing God's miraculous hand, Elijah right now is being overwhelmed and he wants to die. He is done. He's done. And notice how God responds to him in his bruised and broken state. Because a bruised reed he will not break. And smoking flax he will not blow out. Three things which we'll briefly look at that God does. He invites him into three practices. And I want to encourage you in 2024 to embrace these practices. The practices of resting, feasting and listening. Resting, feasting and listening. What did I say? Resting, feasting and listening. Great. Practice number one. If your soul is weary today, if your heart is wounded, if your faith is faltering, the first whisper of heaven to you today, friends... Is resting. Resting. Elijah finds himself in this bad way in 1 Kings 19 because he is exhausted. Literally exhausted. Spiritually, physically, in every way. And the most important thing, the most spiritually profound thing, the most godly divine thing, the most commanded thing, the most incredible thing that he could do in this moment is what? Is sleep. Sleep is to rest, to get some recovery. And so I I want to ask you, friends, how are your resting habits? How are your resting habits? How can you improve them this year? Your rhythms of rest slowing down. People say to me, to Amy, I'm sure to some of you as well, uh, oh, you always seem really busy. I don't like the B word. It seems to me that most people fill their lives. There aren't many people I know who are sitting around twiddling their thumbs. Like we can all say we're all busy. We fill our lives. Annie Dillard, the writer, she once said how we fill our lives, our days is how we fill our lives. Like everyone's busy. It's just are you busy about the right stuff? And, And do we have healthy rhythms that are rooted in rest. Remember in the Genesis account, Genesis 1 and 2, God creates Adam and Eve on day 6, and the first full day they get is a day of rest. Their first full day on planet Earth, they do nothing, because the rhythm of creation is we're supposed to work from a place of rest, rather than rest from our work, because we're exhausted. How can we reject busy? Reject busy. Take a nap. Reset our sleeping hours. I, I spend a lot of time, not just in Zia, but as outside Zia, as you know, talking to leaders. And one of my little mantras that I say to them is, it's time you reject the law of have to. The myth of have to. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, you have this myth of have to where you keep saying to me, I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to do this and that. There's a lot of stuff on your have to list that you actually don't have to do. That God doesn't even want you to do. Like some of it we have to do because we bought into the lie that we need the big house and the big car and so we need the big money and we need to work all the hours in order to fund that lifestyle. 
But the truth is, you don't have to. We've made choices that have put pressure on ourselves that kill rest in our life. What would it look like to you, even in this next week, to take stock of your to-do list and realize that maybe there are some things on that to-do list that you have bought into that I have to do. Of course there are things that we have to do, but not everything. And if you theologically believe, which I do, that there is all the time in the world for you to do what God wants you to do, if I'm feeling perpetually exhausted, I'm not getting enough rhythms of rest, then I'm probably doing things that either no one should be doing or someone else should be doing. Am I speaking to anyone today? What do rhythms of resting look like for you in 2024? Like, in all parts of our lives, we always have to ask the question, what season of life am I in and what does this season require of me? Like, if you're young with kids, it's a different challenge. Like, you know, the stage of life that I'm, I'm at, you know, I don't have kids to look after, but, you know, Amy and I are out and about speaking in different places and we know in order to make sure that we have rhythms of rest... Um, Some of you might think this is sad, but if you look to our diary, which is all on our phones, you will see there is a day off, 24-hour period, at least one complete day off that's in our diary for the whole of this year. We, we We block it out a year in advance. You will see the nights in the week that are literally, they say, keep free. You could say, could you come for dinner? We say, no, no, we're busy. And if you said, like, what are you doing? Well, I'd probably say it's none of your business. And I don't mean that in a naughty way, if you know what I mean, but like... The, um, I, just, I, I just mean, I just mean, sorry, that was too much information, wasn't it? Move on, move on, move on. Children are present. But while I'm doing nothing, it's what I'm doing. I'm resting. Like all of our annual leave. Some of you never take your annual leave. We book our annual leave the whole of this year. It's all in our diary, rhythms of it. Every eight or nine weeks, we make sure we've got at least a week off. But I'm not trying to be smart here, but, but I've learned through failure. I've learned through exhaustion, unless I put rhythms of resting in place, I'm going to burn myself out. Is anyone hearing me? Yeah, rhythms of rest. Secondly, the whisper of heaven was feasting. Feasting. Now, of course, this was very practical. Very, very practical, because this was about eating. Eating. And if Amy was holding this microphone, she would say, Matt needs to eat more regularly. Because I do, I'm, I'm a, I, you know, I usually have breakfast, but I'm not really good at taking lunch. And, and I knew, I know for me, one of those things I need to be better at. I need to make sure that I'm, I'm eating better and less pizza and maybe less ice cream, but maybe not. <laughs> but I know, you know, again, just very practically thinking about your, your eating habits. We want to look after this temple. But, but for now, I want to suggest feasting is more than just this. It's more than just food. <laughs> Rhythms of feasting are about what are you feasting in your life? What are the good things that you are enjoying in your life that are good for your soul and they fill up your emotional and your physical and your spiritual tank that means when the storms come, you've got more reserves, that you don't find yourself in this place like Elijah because there's nothing left in the tank. We're just like, oh, I'm done. A few years ago, I was talking to a pastor and he said, in order to keep himself healthy, he, has, he feasts on three things. You'll see them up on the screen now. Pastimes, places, and people. Pastimes, places, and people. I think this is just such a great idea. I've kept with it ever since. Pastimes. So he's got this whole list all the time. What are the things that I enjoy doing that are not work? The things that distract me, the things that I enjoy. Exercising, sports, walking, reading, baking, painting, gardening. 
But what, what do people do? Shout some things out. What do you love doing? Watching rugby. Watching cricket. Amy likes baking. What, what do people like doing? Reading. Gardening. Loads of things. Think about reading stories. Writing stories. Think of all the things. Come up with a list of things. Maybe that sometimes they take five minutes, sometimes they take longer. What are the pastimes that will intentionally distract you from work and they will be good for your soul? And then there are places. Places to go. It could be just a practicality. There's a chair in your house that you just think, when I, when I get a really good cup of coffee and I'm sitting in that chair, I can just breathe. Or maybe there's a coffee shop. Like we're, we're blessed. Like Within five or ten minutes of most of us, you can walk out in the countryside. You don't even need to have a car, but if you've got a car, you can be by a lake, like Gratham Water. I love walking around Gratham Water or Stewartby Lake or like these places are around us. Or maybe you love to go to the beach if you're able to do that. But what are the places when you go to those places, you just know, I breathe a bit. I breathe a bit. That is weird. In a couple of weeks time, I'm going up to see Pete Gilbert, as you know, who's my uh, mentor and spiritual director and he lives up in Inverness and it's really weird I just find myself even when I'm traveling to Luton airport I, I, I just mentally find myself in this different place because I know I'm going to rest for 24 hours even when I'm at Luton airport <laughs> it might be because of the bacon sandwich and large coffee that I'm enjoying but I'm, it's good what are the places and then finally what are the people who are the people when you spend time with those people, they're just good for your soul. They're just good to be with. We all need people. We need each other. People who are loving and life-giving, and you commit to be that as well. I think we need three types of people in our lives, and we need to be this as well. We need people we're learning from. This is hopefully a learning moment, church home learning moment. People that we do life with, soul friends. That's why we're committed to huddles. Building huddles, friendship, people that we're doing life with. And then people we are committed to lead and help as well. Learning, doing life and leading. Family, friends, neighbours, brothers and sisters in Christ. Being intentional about relationship. Wesley said, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. And that, friends, is why like, church at home is so important. Huddles are so important. Being on a team is important. Gathering in these moments are important. Not because you're a bum on a seat, but you're a human being. And human beings need human beings. But I'm, I'm really hoping that by the time you left here today, no one will go, well, that was a complete waste of time. <laughs> God, oh, it's flipping so boring. You know, and that, that tallest and smallest joke that Amy did, that was really, you know, so offensive. Shocking and... You know, and the music. Oh, goodness. It's too loud, it's too quiet, it's too fast, it was too slow. Hope no one's feeling that. Hope when we leave today that something in this moment would have been really good for our soul. And so, so why would you think, oh, I think, oh, I'll do that again in a month? We need to be together. Yeah. We need people, places, and pastimes. And then finally, this practice of listening. Because God wants to speak to Elijah. And don't you love the fact that before God speaks to Elijah, he basically says to Elijah, come on, get it off your chest. What do you want to say first? Spill. Let's see what's in your private room. Let's see. 
And did you notice, because I read it quickly both times, he basically says exactly the same thing both times. It's like, God, if you didn't hear me the first time, you clearly didn't, because you're asking me again, and I'm just going to tell you the same thing again. And so he lets him let off steam. And he's pouring out his heart. And don't you love the fact that God does not break a bruised reed? And he doesn't blow out someone whose life feels like it's done. But then God speaks to him. And, and, and actually, if you read what, what God essentially says to Elijah is, don't worry, Jezebel is not going to take your life today. There are things for you to do. So now that you've rested and feasted, let's go again. And he has an amazing finish, Elijah. But that's for another day. I, I want to ask you, as we start to draw this to a close, what are the habits of listening to God that you are going to grow in this year? The habits of listening to God. Because God does want to speak to you. Prayer is not the goal. Scripture reading is not the goal. Worship is not the goal. Stillness, fasting, meditation, that is not the goal. We do those things because the goal is to know him, to get close to him, and hear the whisper of heaven into our own lives. God doesn't give us A to Z, friends. He gives us the next step. And sometimes when you're in the stillness and you feel this whisper, this thought that comes into your head, or sometimes you, this morning, through anything that's happened, you feel like a nudge from heaven, or sometimes you're reading a scripture and that verse seems to apply, or sometimes you're singing a song and the line from that song is what God's stirring in you, whatever it is, but what are the rhythms and practices that you will embrace this year of listening, being attentive to the one who wants to speak and guide you? We are so aware that we have been through seven of the most crazy years. And I think it's fair to say, no one knows on planet Earth what those years have really done to us. We don't. But God, but God, he knows what's in that buried private space. He knows what's in that private place that we can't Share And a bruised reed he will not break. A smouldering wick he will not snuff out. And so today, friends, like Elijah, God is inviting you to rekindle life again. If you're feeling it's a flicker, then I'm just praying that even as we in a moment worship and take communion together, that the wind of the Spirit will come. And the flicker will become a flame. And you will leave this place thinking, I've got to do some things differently. I need better rhythms of resting and feasting and listening. So it will be well with my soul. Amen.